Hey y'all, before we begin, I want to make sure you know about my live parent workshops. One Friday a month, I host a live virtual parent workshop on topics related to raising neurodivergent kids and teens. We cover topics like how to talk to your child about their diagnosis, how to support negative self-talk, and navigating school for your child. You can register for workshops one at a time, or you can become an all-access subscriber on Substack for instant access to all the workshops and replays. To browse the workshop library and subscribe, go to learnwithdremily.substack.com and click Parent Workshops. Hey y'all, before we begin, if you're a school administrator who loves watching your teachers and students thrive, but you feel your staff needs more training to meet the needs of such a diverse group of learners, I am here for you. I am now offering professional development for pre-K through 8th grade educators, both in-person and virtually. For more information about pricing and scheduling, go to learnwithdremily.com schools to get started. It took far less time for the meltdown to last if I just wrote it out than if I was out there fighting it. And the analogy I use in the book is just real storms, right? Like, how do we get everyone to safety and we just ride this out till it's over? Afterwards, we can start doing preventative things. Afterwards, we can start creating plans for what to do in the heat of the moment that maybe could avoid it getting this bad. Welcome to Learn with Dr. Emily, the podcast where parents and teachers come together for neurodivergent youth. I'm your host, Dr. Emily King, child psychologist and former school psychologist, and I am on a mission to help everyone understand that nurturing neurodivergent children isn't about changing them, but about changing us. Each week, I share my thoughts on topics related to child development, mental health, parenting, education, and parent-teacher collaboration. You can read more on my Substack at learnwithdremily.substack.com or listen here. So let's get started with today's topic. Okay, welcome everyone to the Learn with Dr. Emily podcast. I am so excited today to welcome Dana Abraham, who is joining us. I am so excited to be here. Yes, so Dana has a new book out called Calm the Chaos, which we are going to get all into. But first, we are going to introduce who Dana is, why I think that we may be kindred spirits, and then we will dive into some what I hope you'll find is some really great helpful information if you are a parent or if you're a teacher or if you are both, because I know I have lots in my audience who are both teachers and parents. Okay. So Dana Abraham is a best-selling author of the Super Kids Activity Guide to Conquering Everyday and Sensory Processing 101. And she is on a mission to create a more accepting world, one challenging kid at a time. Her latest book, Calm the Chaos, a fail-proof roadmap of parenting, even the most challenging kids, has been released. It's here. It is. So as a national board certified educator, parent of three neurodivergent children and ADHD adult herself, Dana brings a unique and out-of-the-box experience to parents raising children in the modern world. She's the founder of the popular parenting website, Lemon Lime Adventures, which you may have heard of before, and has accumulated more than 41 million viewers in less than seven years. 
Through her compassionate framework, Calm the Chaos, Dana has helped millions of desperate parents around the world find peace and meet their children where they are when conventional parenting tools have failed them. With a weekly reach of more than 1.2 million people on social media and more than 200,000 parents attending her Calm the Chaos free workshop, she has become a proven and trusted leader in the parent community. Her work has been showcased in HuffPost, Scary Mommy, BuzzFeed, Attitude Magazine, and Parents Magazine, as well as Lifehacker. She lives in Little Rock, Arkansas, with her three amazing children, her husband, Jason, and two puppies, Luna and Coda. All right. (laughs) Welcome, Dana. Thank you. I'm so excited. I know. I'm so excited to be here and talk through just really all the things, you know, I think we are equally as passionate about creating a better world for our Mm -hmm. kids, creating a better world for neurodivergent adults too. Um, So I wanted to start there. I wanted to start with something we have in common, which is that we are um, both parenting neurodivergent children, but what stuck out to me the most in um, when I was reading through Calm the Chaos and in your work is that we have both parented neurodivergent kids who are going through seasons of crisis. Mm -hmm. And so I know for us and our family, it was high anxiety and physical aggression that was our crisis. Definitely school refusal, aggression at school um, with teachers, which impacted every facet of our family and my own nervous system. Mm -hmm. And so I get this question a lot. Oh, but you're a child psychologist. You should you should be good at this. And you probably get this as an educator, like, you know what to do. So I want to step back and get your, your feedback on how you think about this and and talk about how it's possible for people like you and me to know all the things, right? We know all of this stuff and we still struggle to do the thing that brings Mm -hmm. our kid calm in that moment. So mm-hmm. kind of what's your answer to that question? And I, I love more than anything to talk about parent nervous system. So let's dive in to start there. Yeah, I think normalizing this idea that we as parents are also human. And so mm-hmm. when our kids are dysregulated, when they're struggling, we, and especially if we're running on fumes, it's going to be really hard to access any of the knowledge, any of the information that we have in our lovely brains. And Mm -hmm. it's going to be especially hard to then act upon that. And so um, when we were at our worst um, and and going through it, we were dealing with um, three to five three to five hour meltdowns a day. So if you add that up, it's about Mm -hmm. 15 hours a day. doesn't leave a whole lot of time for me to even breathe or to right. step aside and help another kid or to um, to get ahead of the situation. And then at school, I was getting calls nonstop. And so I was constantly waiting for the phone to call. I was constantly waiting for getting email or have to drop everything and run to school. And when you're in that state, your nervous system is on such high alert that it doesn't matter the tools and strategies that you have or the tools and strategies you've given your kid. You can't access them. You just can't pull them to the forefront in that time. Right. And that's what I talk to teachers about a lot. And have had to remind myself of so many times Mm -hmm. is that it's exactly what we teach our kids. You cannot access your thinking brain, your organized 
language in this mm-hmm. moment or problem solving when you're overwhelmed and neither can we. So I want to start by giving parents grace. Mm-hmm. And also, as I think parents, both parents of kids who are a little older, like I always want to say it gets better. Like I, I think we need like a campaign of like it does get a little bit better um, as kids' nervous systems grow and mature. And and you, it's some things are still hard, but you get better. Like we understand, we understand ourselves better and we learn. Um, when you agree that we learn so much from even the mistakes we make. I think yes and. So here's what I'm going to say. If someone's listening and they've got a teenager and they're like, how can she possibly say that it gets better? We're in the worst of it right now. I would say that if you're starting out, starting to learn about yourself and starting to give yourself that grace and you're just now doing that and you have a teenager, it might not be better right now. But if you are starting when we started, when our kids are a lot younger Even if our kids' behavior or their outburst or their whatever is happening, this like outward um, showing that their nervous systems are dysregulated, when we're, if you start that at a young age, even if you don't see a change in them, the more you change, the easier it does get. So I will 100% agree with what you're saying there is that the more we focus on our being able to handle our own triggers and us being able to recognize and be aware of how we show up in a situation, then all the other stuff starts to kind of fall into place when we start changing our perspective, when we start meeting our kids where they're at, when we start um, really adjusting all of the things that society has told us we should be doing as parents, and instead we become more in tune with our kids, then the outcome is, is that it becomes easier to parent our our children. So Dana, what I love about your work is how organized and actionable it is. It's literally the opposite of chaos. So tell us about how and when and why the Calm the Chaos framework came about. Um, Yeah, I what I want to start with is just I want to let people know, um, I think it's funny that Calm the Chaos is described as organized and simple and the opposite of chaos because as an ADHD adult, I laugh like, cause growing up, I was the opposite of organized. Um, and so what calm the chaos is, is it's my combination of systems that I've had to create so that I could manage the chaos in my own life. And, and so um, it kind of came about, one, because I needed something that I could mm-hmm. remember, that I could use when things were really hard. But also it came about because I've worked with so many parents around the world. And one of the things that I see so much in parenting advice is if you just do this one thing, if you just connect more, if you just set firmer limits, if you just understood where the behavior is coming from. And what I realized is it wasn't a quick fix. It wasn't a one size fits all. Instead, there were these principles that you needed more than just one thing. You needed these four key principles. I call them kind of ingredients, like baking a cake. And if you have those, it doesn't matter at what level you have them. As long as you have those four key ingredients, you can really get through any challenging situation. And so I went to kind of test that out with my own son in our own family and then started testing it out with other families around the world. And those we can go into those four pieces in just a minute. But I want to kind of share how it got to be what it is today. Um, a friend of mine calls it simplicity on the far side of complexity. So it started out really complex, trying to navigate 
What are the best pieces? What are the pieces that we need? What is going to really help in this situation? And at first, I started teaching just the four elements and parents were getting results. They were able to understand their kids more. They were able to stay calmer. They were able to advocate for their kids more. But what I noticed is, especially right after the pandemic, when parent stress was really high, they couldn't really access the framework, those four pieces, when they were stressed out, when their world was falling apart. And so they needed something that kind of broke it down in teeny tiny baby steps. And that's where the roadmap came out. And so the Calm the Chaos system is a combination of a framework that's then adapted at different stages in a roadmap. And so you have like the simplest plan of the four pieces and when you are in the biggest storms or when you're dealing with that crisis, when you're dealing with something that's really hard, you need the simplest rendition, as you know, you might say, of the plan. And then you can start making it more advanced. You can start adding on to it. We can start getting ahead of the problem. But so many times parents try to jump to, and educators even will jump to the let's prevent this, let's get ahead of this, or let's create structure, let's create routine. But you don't have that base level of safety, trust, connection. And so you have to start there before jumping to these more advanced strategies. Yep. And anyone listening knows I wholeheartedly agree with everything Dana just said. And I love this so much because there's so many children who are neurodivergent in whatever way they are, who are also being raised by neurodivergent parents. And I think you're going to speak to them in terms of that feeling of, I need a system. Like, you know, I need some way to systematize this parenting gig of this harder, more complex situation. It's not the same as just repeating what our parents did. Definitely not the same. And, um, and then of course our generation is our kids are being raised within totally different circumstances, especially Mm -hmm. with the internet and technology and power struggles with all of that. So Let's um, go into this framework and tell us more about the four key pieces of your framework. Yeah. So the four four key pieces, if you think of it like a Venn diagram with three circles and it all meeting in the middle, you have connection, which I like to think of connection less about the time spent together and more about how you show up around each other and accepting the kid you have in front of you. Then understanding is that piece that if you're raising a neurodivergent child, if you already have a child who struggles more than the average bear, you're already probably doing a lot of this understanding bit, but it's really getting under the surface of where is this behavior coming from? What is really going on here? And understanding the way the brain works, the way the body works, the way the nervous system works, triggers, sensory preferences, all those things. Um, And a lot of parents don't have that piece because one, they haven't ever even heard of it, or they don't they think that it's reserved for kids who have a diagnosis or who are struggling really a lot. But I think the more we understand people, the more compassionate and in tune we can be with them um, and the more we can create environments where everyone can thrive. So the 
Third piece is empowerment. And this is where I see a lot of parents, um, especially as the way we were raised, is like, okay, we're going to give you rules. We're going to give you structure. We're going to give you all these things that um, that kind of put some control in the situation. And empowerment here is more about a collaborative approach for sure, but it's about being a coach, a guide, a mentor to our kids and empowering both parties or all parties with a plan that enables them to thrive. So a way for where, what can they say to get their needs met? What can they do to get their needs met um, without the need of aggression, without the need of hurting others or saying things that are hurtful? Um, and then that middle piece where everything converges is you. So that's you, the parent, the teacher, the educator, whoever it is, as that calm presence. And that involves the way we see things, our perspective, our ability to remain calm, and also our ability to hone in and focus on just one thing at a time instead of trying to fix and solve everything at once. Yeah. And wouldn't you agree that many parents, and we we all do this, is we put all of our eggs in the basket of just understanding and we research things to death and we figure it out. And then we think, why is still, why is this not working? Yeah. So what would be your advice for if, if a family feels like, gosh, I'm working so hard to understand my child, but something isn't working, which parts would you say to nurture a little more? Yeah, I think um, first and foremost, I want everyone to realize that you have so much working that you're already doing. So this isn't about what you're not doing right. This is about leaning on what are you already doing really well? And then what are some small tweaks and nuances you can make in some of these other areas? And so if understanding is something that you have done a ton at, right? And I always say like, oh, it feels like you have to get a PhD in your kid. And so if that is you, then what I've noticed is a lot of times we jump to, well, it must be because of their nervous system or it must be because of this. And a lot of times, I mean, I was working with a parent recently And she's like, I just went and did this vestibular therapy. And then next week we're going to go and we're going to do this therapy. And then we're going to go see this person for his eyesight. And I'm just like, wow, like this poor kid is going from place to place to place to try to solve what you're now understanding. And I think what happens on the other side is kids then feel like there's so much about them that needs to be fixed or solved. Mm -hmm. I think understanding is great for empathy. Understanding is great for finding some solutions, but we as parents, we can't jump to being the solution and we can't jump to always fixing what we find. Sometimes we have to sit with it and we just have to hold space for our kid that that is why the behavior is happening or that's why the challenge is happening and know that we can't always solve all of it. Yeah. So well said. And I think there's so many things that we kind of get in our own way about as parents. And, you know, I, I write about this. I talk about it a lot that sometimes less is enough and being home and nurturing your child. And when you get to that point where they're exhausted, it's possible that there are too many therapies and that more therapies aren't the answer always. And kids are moving targets and let's think about how it's going now and how it's going in six months, because that's a huge time in the life of a child. So that's a really helpful framework to think about. But then also I love it's when the, within the context of the growing child, because they are all moving targets, but then if you have multiple children, they're moving targets. And I feel like we as parents are moving targets because we're still growing and learning too. Yeah. 
I want to say hi to all the teachers out there learning with me. Thank you so much for being an educator. I see you and appreciate you and how you keep showing up for our students every single day. In my work as a school psychologist, I know that it helps to have a way to stay organized when thinking about your students' needs. That's why I created two free resources for you. The regulation roster helps you notice how your students seek emotional regulation and keep track of it. And the reframing behavior worksheet helps you problem solve emotional dysregulation when it happens. For these free downloads, go to learnwithdremily.com slash roster or learnwithdremily.com slash reframing behavior to get started. I want to welcome any parents who are new to this journey. If your child has just been identified as autistic or diagnosed with ADHD, learning differences, or is twice exceptional, welcome. You are in the right place. You may also be overwhelmed by all the calls and emails you're having to make to providers as you're building your child's team. That's why I created the Referral Tracker, which is a free download at learnwithdremily.com tracker. This free resource explains what each provider does and gives you a template to keep track of all your research. Just go to learnwithdremily.com tracker to get started. So one of the most common questions I get is, but what do I do when my child is in the meltdown? And many parents struggle to actually not take action in this moment. But I love how you write about weathering the storm, that that is doing something. So tell us more about this storm analogy, how it came about, and your thoughts on how being with, just be with your kid is the action in those moments. So I have a unique perspective in the fact that I grew up as a sibling of a bipolar brother. So I was on the receiving end of a lot of punches, a lot of fights, a lot of explosions that seemed to come out of nowhere. And so as a very, very young kid, I had to learn to what I now describe as weathering the storm. And it's where I would find my inner safe place, even though I knew my outer world was not safe. And so some of that was detaching from the situation in the heat of the moment so that I could then solve it afterwards and keep myself afterwards. But I knew that if I said anything, did anything, reacted in any way, that I would just be hit harder and that things would be harder for me. And so I think because I have that unique perspective, when my son started to really struggle, I really started to realize that no matter what I said or did, if I interacted with him, there was a point of no return where Mm -hmm. there wasn't anything I could do or help or say that was going to minimize the meltdown or that was going to make him stop any sooner. So I just had to ride it out. And that is so hard because it feels like it's going to last forever. But what I started to learn, because I got on the other side of these meltdowns where I would ride it out versus the ones where I would try to fight it and I would try to solve it and I would try to stop it and try to fix it, is that it took far less time for the meltdown to last if I just wrote it out than if I was out there fighting it. And the analogy I use in the book is um, just real storms, right? Like right now in the world, we have a lot of very big natural disasters happening all over the world. And when that natural disaster happens, you're not trying to get the natural disaster to stop because you have no control over that natural disaster. 
the fire's still going to come. The hurricane's still going to come. The tornado's still going to come. The only thing you can do is keep yourself and your family safe. And that's what the Ride the Storm plan is all about. It's how do we get everyone to safety and we just ride this out till it's over. Afterwards, we can start doing preventative things. Afterwards, we can start creating plans for what to do in the heat of the moment that maybe could avoid it getting this bad. But we need a plan. I like to call it the plan until you have a plan that works. (laughs) Because I could tell you all day long things to do and say in the heat of the moment, but if you try them today, they're probably not going to work. They're probably not going to work for a while. So you need a plan to just ride it out until you have a plan that works, that actually de-escalates and and actually diffuses the bomb faster. And what I love about the storm analogy as a child psychologist is that kids get this, right? You can explain an emotional storm to a child and they will immediately relate to, oh yeah, it feels like you're not in control of that. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. It feels like all I want is to be with my safe person. Oh yeah. It does things that I don't want it to do. You know, like Mm -hmm. there are such clear parallels. So how do you coach parents and talking to their children about Mm -hmm. the storm? Because so much of this moment Obviously, we're not talking to them in the moment of the storm, but prepping for that Mm -hmm. plan before you have a plan that works is collaborative with your child, right? So how do you coach families to talk to their child about the storm? Yeah, so I think um, one of the first things I do is if you've got a child who is like where mine was, where they were having three to five three to five hour meltdowns a day, there's probably not a whole lot of time to get ahead of it or to talk about the next time there's a storm. What you can do is talk to the other kids who are easily regulated. And so you can talk to your partner, you can talk to any other adults in the family, you can talk to the other kids in the classroom, and you can talk about And you can talk with the child who has these storms, but you can say, you know, we all have storms where, you know, maybe things have gone really bad that day and we just can't take it anymore. I mean, how many parents have gotten touched out, sounded out, you know, and all of a sudden you just lose it because your child spilled something. Well, you're not actually losing it because they spilled something. And so helping kind of normalize that this is part of being human and this is part of how your brain protects you and this is, or your nervous system protects you and, and that they're normal, just like tornadoes are normal, just like hurricanes are normal and we can't avoid them, but we can plan for them. So where do we feel safe? Where do we, where can we go if we see that brother is having a hard time? So my my little one, um, when this was happening, my son was about 10. And so brother was about eight and then my daughter was two. And so, um, we had a safety plan that the eight-year-old would take the two-year-old, the toddler. And, um, first he'd put the dog away because our dog was almost our signal, like our tornado siren. Mm. Our dog would start barking really loud. He knew the meltdown was coming before any of the rest of us did. So I know it's so amazing. And he still does it every once in a while. (laughs) My son's 18 now. Um, but he still does it. He'll get really riled up and we're like, okay, buddy, what's going on today? And he's like, how did you know? And I'm like, cause the dog is barking. Um, but our safety plan was that they'd put the dog away. So that the dog didn't end up like going after my son. Mm -hmm. 
And then they'd grab iPad, they'd grab fun snacks, they'd go downstairs, they'd get the remote, and they would like have a little party. And I know that sounds really funny, but they would go downstairs and they would just play games, they would watch TV, and it was all the things that they like don't normally get to do. So Mm -hmm. it was exciting for them, it was fun for them. But the point was, is I didn't think that it was fair in that moment for them to have to see their their brother in his hardest moments. And, and I wanted to keep them safe. So by having them go to the basement, they were out of sight, out of mind from my son. And then we could then focus on helping my son. And I think a lot of times when parents are trying to create this safety plan, they are trying to create a plan for the kid who's struggling the most. And that's the kid that you can't control the most because... Mm-hmm. Because they are out of control. They're they're not regularly, they're not able to access the strategies and the tools you've given them. And so to ride it out, you really are, they are going to yell. They are going to break things, right? And so one of the things we talk about is normalizing, like, you know, a lot of times people will try to say, well, it's not okay to hit. It's not okay to break things. Well, in the heat of the moment is not when you teach that skill. And so removing things and saying, you know what, I've been noticing a lot of storms lately. This is what storms are. So I think we should maybe remove some things that could be hurtful to other people. Um, What do you see in the house that's hurtful? What should we move? Um, I also think we should add some things that are super soft to the room. Mm -hmm. So do we have any pillows? Do we have like a big bean bag? Do we have some big stuffed animals that we can add to these different rooms so that you have a place to plop? You have a place to run to. You have a safe place to go. That's the way you can prep ahead of time. And then also tell yourself, you know what? Like, I'm going to make all these preparations, but I have to know that we might not all go to the same place that we're <laughs> we're preparing for. Exactly. And there are a few things that came to my mind as you were describing that. And the first is for the siblings, and I, I'm sure you coach parents with lots of different examples of how siblings can have their own plan. But for them, the other thing that I I think of that it's creating is you're giving them permission to not have to solve anything related Mm -hmm. to their, their brother at that moment. And Mm -hmm. so you are sending the message that you're safe, but this is not your responsibility. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's hard if siblings are in the room or stay in the room. So I think it's, it's safe physically, but it's also a a really healthy emotional boundary that you're setting Mm -hmm. to let kids know we're the parents, we've got this. And then, you know, the other thing I was thinking about is just, um, you know, helping kids understand that we hope that this is temporary, right? We hope that these moments of crisis are temporary, but I know because I've been in it and you've been in it, we, we don't know that. We don't know when it's going to get better. It's kind of like, you know, I don't know, like flying a plane in the dark without radar. Like, I don't know what it's like, but um, it just reminds me of um, that faith you have to have and the trust of like, I'm just going to keep doing the next right thing. So what are your thoughts on just that? I don't know where this is going, but I think I'm going in the right direction or maybe starting to notice a little bit of progress as tiny as it is in your child. So I think uh, one of the things, again, we've been talking a lot about normalizing things. And I think that parents are fed this lie that um, one, success is linear. And two, that um, we live in this, like I call it, 
Amazon Prime parenting, right? This idea that you can like place an order and the next day everything's solved. And so when we are fed this idea that one idea can solve things, then when it doesn't get solved in a, what we think is a timely manner, we think we must be doing something wrong or our kid must be broken, or we must need to like give away our power to someone else to fix it, solve it. And I think if we, it's kind of like that uh, research study, which I actually don't love because it's like harming to animals, I think a little bit, but this, I'm sure you've heard the research study where they put the mice in the jar and then the mice swam for 15 minutes and then started to sink to the bottom. They grabbed the mice out of the jar. At least I hope they do. In my head, they've grabbed the mice out. Um, But then the next time they put them in the jar, the mice they swam for 60 hours because they had the belief that they were going to be saved. They had the belief that they could Mm -hmm. get through it. And I think that as like weird as that (laughs) analogy is, that's kind of what I think we need to do ourselves as parents is we have to have that faith. We have to say, okay, I know other people have gone through this. I know that success is not linear. I know that um, these can be long and two things can be true at the same time, this can be really long and we can come out of it on the other side because the truth is, is we've already made it through all of our worst meltdowns we've had up to this moment. And so if we've made it through those, we can make it through this one. And so just reminding ourselves of that, giving ourselves proof of times that we have been successful, times that we have made it through to the other side, we have started the cuddles and the reconnect and the and um, and the repair work afterwards, because it has happened. And if it's happened in the past, it can happen again. And then you talked about focusing on the progress. And I think that's the most important thing, especially when you're in the storms, is to focus on the little tiny progress. And, you know, it reminds me again of, we just had a tornado come through here in April, ripped through our city. And it was on the news, you know, worldwide that our town was destroyed. And I had a friend who, he was um, he was gone from the house. His wife and two kids were home. One kid was in the shed, and the two, the wife and the daughter were in the house. The kid in the shed left the shed to go into the house, and then the tornado took the shed immediately mm-hmm. after. And then they were in the they went to the bathroom. It was a one story house, so they didn't have a basement to go to or anything like that. So they were in the bathroom. With um, the way you do it, if you, you know, you go to an interior room and you put um, a mattress over your head and you just wait it out. And so that's what they did. And he's showing a video of his house and there is no roof on the entire house. It took the entire roof of the house off and he shows the bathroom and there's no roof in the bathroom. So they were in the bathroom when the roof got ripped off and they had to just ride it out. And this guy, I just... I was like, can I, what can I do? What can I, how can I support you? He had a 10 year old daughter. I'm like, can my daughter bring some stuff over? And he was, he messaged me and he said, thank you so much. He said, there are people that are worse off than us. Please give the shoes to them. I'm so thankful. We have our life. We are all safe. None of us got hurt. And it's like, he's not, he's not pretending nothing happened, but he is focusing on the gratitude of the small wins. And that's Mm -hmm. how you get through really difficult situations. And 
and you continue to focus on, okay, today we found this, or today it's 30 minutes instead of an hour, or today we had three instead of five. You know, you're focusing on that and you're making it a habit to focus on those tiny, tiny wins every day. And you can start adding in that habit with your kids. And when they can start to notice, then they also won't catastrophize like, oh my gosh, this always happens, or we're never going to be able to go anywhere together. Or, you know, oh, you know, the thing that breaks my heart the most is when siblings will say, well, we don't ever get to do anything because that, you know, they do X, Y, Z. And I know that that's just because they don't understand what's going on and they don't see the small, tiny progress and the hard work that that other child is trying to to work through so that it's not a crisis all the time. Mm -hmm. That is such a powerful story and parallel to Mm -hmm. all of this. Mm -hmm. I also want to add that um, when the progress of the child seems slow in our own minds, we also want to notice our own progress Mm -hmm. as parents. And in your work, when I was reading through you know, acceptance and Mm -hmm. connection and acceptance. And those two are kind of intertwined for me because I feel like when we don't have acceptance, it becomes a barrier to our connection, whether we like it or not. You Mm -hmm. cannot fake connection. Mm -hmm. You can't call that one in. And so some of the, you know, roadblocks I see when I work with parents, but also I had for myself or in the early days, even all the things that I knew it is a process to accept this path and to kind of recalibrate what you're doing at the same time as connecting with your child. So um, what can parents look for in terms of their progress, even if their child's being really hard, but what can they notice of like, I think this is progress on either my acceptance or my ability to connect. Mm. So I love what you're talking about with connection, because I think that's one of the most misused words in uh, the parenting field. And um, we're helping parents is this idea that connection is you're going to spend time together, you're going to hang out together, you're going to play games together, you're going to get down on their level. And those are all great. But if when you're not around your kid, or when you're doing the dishes, or when you go to bed at night, you're like, oh, why does this have to be so hard? When you're thinking, my kid is just entitled, like, oh my God, they're such a brat. They're so disrespectful. We're never getting better. If you're, if that's your perception, it is going to be incredibly hard for you to show up with love and compassion and empathy. And your kid is going to read right through it, especially if you've got a kid who's more sensitive to other people's emotions and body language. And so if, um, you know, one of the things that parents can start to pay attention to is those thoughts. Those thoughts are totally normal. Um, but how often are they happening? Are they happening less and less? Great. Um, when they pop up, are you able to swap those thoughts pretty quickly? That's progress. Um, do you now start to speak in more factual uh, things such as when this happens, my kid struggles? Or are you still thinking in always and nevers? Because if now you're seeing things in when this, this happens, well, you're, that's progress because now you're starting to see the holes or the opportunity or the small mm-hmm. steps forward instead of it being absolute, that it always mm-hmm. is bad or it's that's never good, good. That's a really, really 
easy one to even start implementing right here today. Um, the ability to remain calm and I don't want it to be all or nothing again, right? So start paying attention to how long you're able to remain calm, the types of things you are able to stay grounded and centered in um, versus I lost it, right? Or I didn't lose it because you're not going to magically become this Zen mama overnight. It's going to take time. And even then you still have a lot of habits and things you've got to work through. And so even if you're able to enter the situation calmer or you're able to leave the situation, you know how to remove yourself. So start paying attention to those small steps forward. Pay attention to your body language. We talk about moments of safety in the book. So scanning your body. Are you able to like loosen your jaw? Are you able to loosen your shoulders in the heat of the moment? Um, are you able to stop talking in the heat of the moment? And maybe before you would just go, 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 go. Um, so those are some things that I think parents can start to really pay attention to and start paying attention to how often you're noticing things about your kids and their progress versus noticing all the things they're doing wrong and all the ways that it proves that they're not getting better, that they're not changing, that they're still going to struggle and that we're catastrophizing, like looking into when they're 18, if they still do this, they're going to live under a bridge, right? Like those thoughts. And so mm -hmm. start focusing on oh, today they played with their sister for five minutes. Or maybe if they aren't able to play with their sister, but they were able to help their sister open the peanut butter jar, right? Start focusing mm -hmm. on those, being very deliberate about looking for those little pieces of progress. And that will help you change your perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And now that we're talking about perspectives and parenting. I have to bring up this topic because I, when I heard you talk about this, I actually heard you talking about this on the Tilt Parenting podcast. And I was like, I've got to ask Dana this question. So um, Debbie Reber on that podcast asked you about your dream for this book, replacing another book. And so many people that I know and work with know the book, One, Two, Three Magic. Um, every pediatrician that's listening listen up <laughs> because I feel like for some reason, the pediatricians talk about one, two, three magic more than any other field. Um, I actually first saw the book, one, two, three magic when I was a school psychology intern in Texas. And I was in a full school-based mental health program where I went to a different public school every day and was doing counseling with kids. And then we were tasked with um, training parents in the district on like one night a week. And that was the curriculum. One, two, three magic. Now this was 18 years ago. Um, and at that time, the book wasn't even that new. So I just would love to hear <laughs> your dreams for this because I'm here for it. Yes. Yeah, so my dream <laughs> is to replace this book. I I want um, I want newer information to be handed to parents because pediatricians mm -hmm. are the first go-to, even before therapists. They'll go to their teacher or they'll go to their pediatrician and they'll say, I'm really struggling. What do I do? And they're handed a resource or they're handed, you know, maybe a referral to go speak to a therapist if they're lucky. Now, we recently had 
an issue like this. We went to our doctor and we said, we just want to make sure that we're not missing anything. We were pretty sure it was anxiety-based, but we wanted to make sure that there was nothing physically going on inside our daughter that was causing her to not feel like going to school. And the doctor looked at my husband and he goes, you don't have a medical problem here. You have a parenting problem. I would never let my child act like this. You need to take her to school and tell her she has to go. Now, in years past, that would have really upset me. But I now know this isn't about me. I know that pediatricians and doctors are not taught about parenting. And they're not taught about brain-body science. They're not taught about the connection between those things. They're, they're not taught those things at all. And, and so they're looking for a resource to share because they want to help their clients. But they don't they're not a parenting expert. They're not a child psychologist. They don't know child development. And so I want a resource that is in tune, that's compassionate, that doesn't make parents feel like they are less than, like their kids are broken, like something's wrong with them. And one, two, three magic, I believe is harmful. And when I say that, it makes a lot of people mad because they've tried it. And then, so if they've tried it, then they believe that I'm saying they somehow are bad or harmful. And I believe that everybody's doing the best with what they've been given. And we have so many more resources. We have so much more knowledge about how the brain works, about how children work, about neurodiversity, that handing a parent something that says count to three or put them in the corner, right? And for teens, it's like if your teen gets in trouble, leave them in jail, it's like if your kid is having a hard time and they're melting down, leave them in their room so that they don't learn that, you know, they can act that way to get your attention. Well, I did that once. I left my child in his room. And when I walked in, when it finally got quiet, he had opened the door to try to, or the window to try to jump out just to make the meltdown end. Like it, it ignores everything about why a child is doing what they're doing. And it's all about here's how the parent can have control over the situation. It doesn't build connections. It builds disconnection. And, and so if I could see that book disappear from the top 10 list on Amazon, disappear from most recommended. Um, right now, they've started sharing things about 123 Magic with ADHD. And I'm like, oh, dear God, no. Like, <laughs> you know, it's one thing to be like a go-to parenting resource for typical, typically developing children. But please, no, let's not add in um, when our children are are unique and they have different brain wiring. So yeah, that's I can get really fired up about this one. So thank you for asking me. You're so welcome. Well, as kind of an encore question, because we're going to wrap it up, we've done a lot of talking about parenting, but many in my audience are both parents and teachers or teachers listening. And as a teacher yourself, I am just curious um, <clears throat> what your thoughts are kind of in translating some of these ideas into that framework of the classroom, all the things teachers are juggling, like what would you want teachers to know just in general about this idea of maybe like a calm the chaos roadmap for education? 
Maybe that's another book. I think but what would you want teachers to know? Um, so the Calm the Chaos framework is adaptable to the classroom. We have a lot of teachers who have gone through the framework and adapted it to the classroom and use it in their schools. We've had principals. We've even had pediatricians at this point who use the framework in their practices. And so one thing that I can tell you is it is that piece of you are that one person for so many of these kids. And you can't expect that their parents are going to be that one person. You can't expect that the other teachers are going to be that one person, that their counselor is going to be that one person. You have to assume you are their safe place. You are the only person who sees this kid for who they are, who trusts them, who believes in them, and who can really see this kid has a lot of amazing qualities and they just need a guide. And so if you can be that guide, that mentor, if you can really connect with the kids you have in your classroom and see them for who they are, help them feel seen and heard and valued, create an environment where everyone can thrive. And that means really understanding the nuances of what makes each child tick. And I know you have a lot of kids, so I want you to know that I've been there. I've had 48 kids in a kindergarten classroom, so I get it. Um, Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) So, um, and this was like inner city, like kids were literally climbing the walls. I mean, it was was a a hoot. Yeah, we'll just say that. Um, And so for teachers, I mean, my heart goes out to you. You are teaching in a time that is harder than any other time because children went through a pandemic. Um, they have their nervous systems are shot because of all of the uncertainty that happened for years. Your nervous system is shot because of the increase in um, unsafe behaviors and the increase in anxiety in the classroom and things like that and all the pressures on you. And so I think giving yourself that grace to know you're human. Um, finding resources and finding support for yourself to be able to find yourself grounded and to be that safe place for your classroom is going to be far more important than all the academics you could be doing in the classroom. Agreed. Amen. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much, Dana, for joining us. Where do you want to send people to find your book? Yeah, so you can grab the book anywhere books are sold. But after you do that, head over to calmthechaosbook.com and you can submit your receipt. And we've got some fun goodies for you there. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dana. It's been so fun talking to you today. Absolutely. This has been Learn with Dr. Emily at the podcast. For more resources, including both parent, teacher, and school resources, visit learnwithdremily.com or read my substack at learnwithdremily.substack.com. Also, we are publishing this podcast weekly, so make sure you're subscribed by pressing the plus, follow, or subscribe button on whatever podcast app you're using right now. This podcast is edited by EarFluence. All information discussed on this podcast is for educational purposes only. If you have immediate concerns about your child, please reach out to a mental health or medical professional. I'm Dr. Emily King, and we will keep learning together next week.